We pray this morning as we come to your word, to the gospel of Matthew, to this chapter 10 today, Lord, that, that you'd give us insight, that um, you'd open up our hearts, that we would have ears that hear, that we would have eyes that see, that we would have a greater understanding of the working of your kingdom, the sending out of the 12, the, the principles that are involved in your, in your kingdom and in serving you, Jesus, and we ask that your Holy Spirit would just bless and anoint this time in your name. Amen. Matthew chapter 10. All right, well, as we come to Matthew chapter 10 this morning, we're going to move through this whole chapter. It's a big one. And so it's going to be a little more of a flyover than we've done in some of the passages recently. And we're going to just try and grab some of the big thoughts and the big themes. Um, I would say this, that Matthew chapter 10 kind of marks a new section in Matthew's gospel. Chapters 1 through 9 kind of introduce Jesus as king. They introduce the concept of the kingdom. Those chapters tell us about the king's revealing. We see the story of his birth. We see the story of his worship. The, the coming of John the Baptist to announce uh, the kingdom. Uh, we see... The early ministry of Jesus and the values of his kingdom in the Sermon on the Mount. And most recently in Matthew's chapter 8 and 9, we have been looking at the power of the king. Demonstrating um, his, his power over sin and sickness and death and demons. And Matthew's gospel, as we're going to see here in this chapter. And as I've mentioned to you bef to before many times throughout this series. Is a, is a gospel that's primary focused audience was the Jew. And um, as we cruise through this section of it, we're going we're gonna to see that more clearly here, I think, today. And so, you know, I was, thinking, I was thinking about, I was looking forward to going to the beach today. It's too bad that we're not going there. But, um, you know, when you, when you sit on the beach here on the Sunshine Coast and just watch the waves roll in sometime and you watch them crash on the rocks, you know that when a wave comes in, it just, it just begins to, build and build and build and then it crests and it breaks and it goes white and foamy and rolls up the beach and then retracts back. You get that picture in your mind of it retracting back and then it almost builds into the next wave until it comes crashing in again. And it's almost as though that has happened in the ministry of Jesus here uh, in Matthew's gospel. The tide has reached its high point. We have essentially seen the high point of Jesus' ministry in terms of amongst the, the people of Israel, uh, the tide has reached its high point. It's kind of slack here for a moment. And it's about to retract in the sense that Israel is going to reject Jesus. And we are going to see that more and more in this gospel account. And in this brief slack tide for a moment, Jesus is going to call his disciples to them. He's going to commission them. And he's going to send them out with the message of the kingdom. And so Matthew chapter 10 recounts for us uh, the commissioning and essentially the ordination of the disciples. They become apostles. And Jesus gives them uh, the message that they are to share. And he shares with them a message um, that is to prepare them for the ministry that they're called to. And there's kind of two primary things that we're going to see here in this chapter that Jesus is going to talk about as he sends them out. And it's these two things, service and suffering. 
the disciples are commissioned here to announce the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We remember that John the Baptist first appeared on the scene. He was preaching that message. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Then Jesus came on the scene and he raised his voice louder than that of John and the message louder than that of John. And as John said, I must become less and he must become more. And John faded into the background and Jesus came into the foreground and became the primary preacher of this message. And now as we, we come to this point, as Jesus has been pre preaching the kingdom and demonstrating his power, it's as though the volume of the message of the kingdom of heaven is going to get turned up another few decibels, 12 actually. It's going to grow louder than just the life and lips of Jesus. Now Jesus is going to multiply his message in these 12 apostles through their lives and through their lips. And they will proclaim and they will demonstrate the kingdom of God in the same way that Jesus did. A group of 12 men. And so here in Matthew chapter 10 he commissions them. And Jesus is going to talk about as he does um, the two sides of the coin that come with living for him. And there are these two sides. Service and suffering. They're the double mint twins of serving Jesus. Or as I was thinking about, you know, the great theologian Al Bundy from Married with Children. You can't have one without the other. <laughs> Service and suffering. And so look at me, look with me to chapter 10, verse 1. It says this. And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. Jesus has absolute authority and power over every unclean spirit, over every disease, over death, over every affliction. That has been made totally clear to us through this gospel. And now Jesus empowers 12 men to perform and to display the same powerful works that he has been doing and to proclaim the same message that he has taught. Exact same ministry. Jesus empowers these 12 men and they're named apostles. And what I would say is what we're seeing is this. And what we're going to see in this chapter. Is that the kingdom of heaven is still being offered to the nation of Israel. John has proclaimed it. Jesus has proclaimed it. Now Jesus is sending out the 12. And he multiplies his voice. And the offer is going out to the nation of Israel. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And what we're going to see is their rejection of that kingdom. And so we read in verse 2. The name of the 12 apostles are these. For Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew his brother, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. I always think of this crew as the, the ragtag team of misfits. The leftovers. <laughs> and Matthew lists them off. Did you notice? I don't know if you noticed in there. But he goes two by two. All the way through. They're grouped together with a semicolon between each pairing. And that's how they were to be sent out. I was thinking about the way that we're sending out Brian and Phil. Two by two. They're going out. And uh, the first two pairs that we see are two sets of brothers. Si Simon, Peter, and Andrew. And James and John. Peter and Andrew, the first pair, they're from the little town of Bethsaida. Went there for the first time on our last trip to Israel. Not much to see. Little uh, 
fishing town, little fishing village, not far from Capernaum, a little off the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, these two brothers. What's interesting, whenever you look at lists of the disciples, who always comes first? Peter is always mentioned first. That's because he was the unofficial kind of, or maybe official, leader amongst uh, the 12. Originally, he was called Simon. Jesus changed his name to Peter Petros, rock. Uh, Peter had a mouth that was kind of oddly shaped in the shape of a foot, because that's where <laughs> he liked to stick his mouth often, where you'd often, fi often find his foot in his mouth. His brother Andrew uh, was a man who was actually the man who brought Peter to Jesus. We see that in the Gospels. Andrew brought Peter to Jesus. And in fact, anytime you stumble across Andrew in the Gospels, one of the things that you'll notice about him is that he's always bringing someone to Jesus. He's always bringing someone in the story to Jesus, and as he had done with Peter. So Peter and Andrew. Then you got the second set of brothers, James and John, sons of Zebedee, or as Jesus called them, the sons of thunder. The sons of thunder. That was the characteristic of these boys. There was the rumble of thunder wherever they went. You know, they offered to call down fire from heaven on a town that rejected Jesus. And that's why it's amazing when you think about John. John became what he's known as the apostle of love. He wrote five books in the New Testament, right? Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and Revelation. And he's known as the apostle of love, but he was called a son of thunder by Jesus. And um, his brother James was the first of the 12 to give his life as a martyr for Jesus Christ. Herod killed him. Acts, Acts chapter, what is it? I think it's 12, somewhere around there. Acts chapter 12, Herod kills him with, with the sword. And on the other hand, you got J uh, John, the author of these five books, who was the only one of these 12 who lived and died of natural causes. He lived, uh, history tells us that he lived till he was in his mid-90s and uh, was around for a long time. The next pair is Philip and Bartholomew. Scripture tells us that Philip was also from Bethsaida, same town as Peter and Andrew. Uh, Bartholomew is also called Nathaniel. So you can put those two together, that's one. And when Jesus, when, when Nathanael first came to Jesus, Jesus said of him, Behold, an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. He actually said, In whom there is no Jacob. Remember Jacob? The heart of, he had Jacob, which means deceiver, cheat. There's no Jacob in this man. He's a true Israelite. And Nathanael said, or Bartholomew said to, to Jesus, How do you know me? And Jesus said, Before Philip called you, I saw you sitting under the fig tree. Philip was the one who brought him to Jesus. Then you got Thomas and Matthew who are paired together. Of course, Thomas is infamous for his, his doubting and uh, his being the voice of doubt always in the story. But, you know, he should be equally famous for his loyalty. He, he stuck close to Jesus. And, and then you got Matthew. He's, he's the writer of this gospel account. He's telling this story. And you notice how Matthew identifies himself. He says, uh, Matthew, the tax collector. The tax collector for the Roman Empire who became the miracle worker for the kingdom of heaven. I like that picture of Matthew. He worked for the empire, but he left that behind for the kingdom. Then you got James, the son of Alphaeus, paired with Thaddeus. Who are these two? We don't know. You, you read the gospel accounts, their names are just listed, but you don't get any details and they're unknowns to us. 
But when I was thinking about these guys, I thought, you know what? They're known to Jesus. What they did for the kingdom is known to Jesus Christ. And though I can't tell you about their ministry, the record of heaven will recount for us one day what these men did for the kingdom. They're a neat picture to us of, of those who quietly and unknown, the way that people just unknown, like, uh, unknown to us serve the kingdom of God. You know, men not, may not praise them, but the rec- heaven praises them and the record of how they serve Jesus is recorded there. And, and they tell us that your unknown service to God is recorded in heaven. God will reward unknown service that men do not see. And so, you know, work. They tell us work as if working for God and not for men. The last two of the 12 are Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot. A zealot, as a zealot, Simon was committed to uh, the political advance of the nation of Israel, very, very opposed to uh, the Romans. Zealots were essentially, had made the commitment that they were ready to assassinate, to kill people, to move forward the political agenda of the nation of Israel. And so, um, who knows what, Simon's story was before Jesus and how far he had gone in those actions. And then, of course, there's Judas. He's the betrayer, the only traitor among the 12. And so we have these 12 men. They reflect, New Testament-wise, looking back to Old Testament, they reflect to us the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, 12 is the number of completion in the scripture. And so these 12 men, minus Judas, who's replaced by Matthias in Acts chapter 1, are the foundation of the church. Jesus said they will sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. They are the king's messengers, his ambassadors, his apostles, once sent with a specific message, multipliers of the message, multiplying the voice and the ministry of Jesus, these 12 sent out. And so we read in verse five. These 12 Jesus sent out, instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep and the house of Israel and proclaim as you go saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so these 12 men are commissioned. They're called to service. They're sent out as apostles and instructed to go to Israel And to tell them the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That Jesus was the Messiah. And as multipliers of the message of the kingdom. Jesus sets boundaries for their ministry. You see that really clearly there. That the mission is limited. That the mission is localized. That it's limited to Jews. It's localized to the nation of Israel. They are not to enter Gentile communities. They are not to go to Samaritans. They are not to go to Samaritan or Gentile communities. They're just to stick to to Jews as they preach this message. And so we see this, that the, that the target for their ministry was the lost sheep of Israel. Remember last week? The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. That Jesus looked out upon the multitudes and he saw that they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he said, pray that the Lord of the harvest will send workers out into the field. Well, what, is, what do we read here? That Jesus says, you go to the lost sheep of Israel. He's sending these men out as harvest laborers for the kingdom. But the mission at this point is strictly Jewish. And the Jewishness of the message is important. Like 
Like we've been seeing to Matthew's gospel. This is important to what Matthew is communicating to us. His main target audience is the Jew. And the gospel has always been to the Jew first. And then to the Gentile. And Matthew wants us to know as we're reading this. He wants us to know that there is a chance. That there is an opportunity being placed before the people of Israel. For them to accept the kingdom of heaven. And for them to welcome King Jesus. They still had opportunity before the time of the church before the dispensation of the church came before the Israel faced thousands of years uh, of rejection before they you know finally came to the realization that Jesus was their king and so the mission is strictly Jewish and that's where this commission of Jesus to the apostles is different to the commission that you and I have received as the church. The commission of Matthew 10 is not the commission of the church. It's the commission of the apostles. The, the commission of the church is found in Matthew chapter 28. At the very end where Jesus said all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Of all nations baptizing them in the name of the father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. You know, the scripture tells us that Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That that, that saying is trustworthy. That that is deserving of your full acceptance. That Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. Came to save sinners. And the opportunity for Israel to accept Jesus as king is very real as the apostles are sent out. But their rejection of the message, Israel's rejection of the message was also very necessary. The rejection of Jesus was necessary because the cross of Jesus was necessary for him to save. And the cross of Jesus was necessary for him to save not just Israel, but to save the whole world, Jew and Gentile alike. And so the gospel is to the Jew first and the Gentile second. That's always been the pattern of the gospel. And I would tell you this, that if God has blessed you with Jewish friends, then you need to lovingly provoke them with your passion for Jesus Christ. That's what the, God, that's what the book of Romans tells us, that we are the benefactors of the fact that they rejected Jesus. They rejected the message, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. They rejected King Jesus. But the Bible tells us we are the benefactors of, that, of their rejection and that one day Jesus will again come and he will remove his church from the face of the earth. We were talking about this last night and a fun conversation was happening. In the twinkling of an eye, we'll be caught up and together we'll meet the Lord in the air. The church will be lifted off the face of this earth. And then the the time of the church, what we call the dispensation of the church, will come to an end. And the Bible teaches that King Jesus will again turn his focus on the nation of Israel, on the Jew. And this time, they will accept the kingdom and all Israel will be saved. And this is important for us to understand as we look at Matthew chapter 10. It's it's how this passage makes sense. And so we have to consider the scope of the disciples' 
commission that, that it was limited at the start and localized to the Jew and to Israel. And that fact helped us understand, like I said, the details of this chapter. And I would actually say this. This, this chapter is a message to Israel. It's a message uh, for the Jew, but there are many principles that work as gospel application for us in the midst of it. Relevant gospel principles. And specifically two relevant gospel principles for you and I today. And, and it's the heart of the application. Two principles. Service and suffering. That's the heart of this passage. Service. Friends, you are called to serve the kingdom of God. If Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, you are called to serve the kingdom of God. I mean, listen to that. If Christ is your Lord and Savior, then the heartbeat of your life is to serve him, to serve King Jesus, to serve the purposes of his kingdom. And Jesus set the example for us in that. He came and he served. He came and he set the standard with the example of his life and you are called to serve him in the way that he has served you. That's the goal and purpose of our lives. But secondly... If you serve, you will suffer. That, that's the least proclaimed or least understood fact of the gospel. I mean, if you think about it, that if you serve Jesus, you will suffer with Jesus. Service and suffering go hand in hand. Who is the greatest servant of all? Jesus. Did he suffer? Yes. He suffered. Jesus served and he suffered for his service. He gave his life. His life was not taken from him on the cross. His life was given on the cross. The cross was an act of obedient service to the Father's purposes. And when you serve, wherever you serve, suffering will come on some level with your service to God. You know, I've heard it said that 90% of serving the king is just pure work, man. It's just putting your shoulder to the grindstone. And there is suffering that comes with serving Jesus. And so as we move through this text, what we're going to find is Jesus talking about serving and talking about suffering as he communicates to the, to the apostles. And, and they were to announce the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so we're going to move fast through this section. There's lots here, but let's check it out. Verse 8. He says, heal the sick. Raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You receive without pay, give without pay. You know, we believe in healing, but we also recognize this, that the, that the disciples, the, those, these 12 that became apostles, functioned with an anointing that was unique to their ministry because it reflected King Jesus to who? To the Jew. And so there was no failure. When the apostles went out and they laid hands on the sick or they sought to raise the dead. We never in the scripture see failure except for on one occasion with a, a demon situation where Jesus is teaching them a lesson. There was no failure. When they proclaimed the kingdom of God, God backed it up with signs and power and signs and of, of authority and, and, and power. The sick were healed. Lepers were cleansed. They raised the dead. They cast out demons. No question. 
And there is a sense in, in which, in, the, in this where our commission's a little bit different. You know, King Jesus still does all those things. He still does all of them. In faith, we pray for the sick. And sometimes for us, Jesus says yes, and sometimes he says no, and sometimes he says not yet. We pray for the demons to be cast out and all of these things. But no matter how Jesus responds to us, what is our commission? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and teach them to observe everything I've commanded. That's the commission of the church. And so to his disciples, he says this, you receive without pay, give without pay. You know, freely you've received, freely give. The disciples weren't to go around collecting love offerings for the healer, you know. No charging admission for coming in to hear them speak. No high pressure appeals for money. They were just sent out. In verse 9 he says, acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts. No bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or staff. And so, again, this is where the commission of Jesus to these 12 is different even from what I would say that when we send out missionaries in our modern day. There was an urgency to what Jesus was sending these 12 out to do. They were not to take time to gather provisions to go and do the message, the mission. This was just like, go, like right now. Okay, your commission, out the door, and off you go. And today, right, rightly so, I mean, biblically, when we send people out, we gather provision. We We plan. We organize. Uh, we prepare for the task. And these disciples were entering into a mission that they were neither to provide, their own, provide for themselves or were they to take provision from others. They were just to go. And Jesus says this, for, for the laborer deserves his food, verse 11. Whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. And as you enter the house, greet it. If the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And so this was itinerant traveling ministry that these 12 were being given. And the provision for the mission was this. God will provide. Just go into the town. When you find someone worthy, go stay in their house. They'll look after you. They'll feed you while you're there. And then when you're done there, move on to the next town. And a home would be provided through the gift of hospitality. And we believe that biblical principle where God guides, God provides. And God's provision for this specific mission was this, that the disciples would find people. They would run into them and they would say, come and stay in our house and we'll, we'll feed you and we'll care for you. I, I love in this that there was a reward for those who provided for them. It was spiritual that God's peace would come upon their home. I don't know, but somewhere in that, there's a message that we'll preach. <laughs> that when you give provision to the kingdom of God, and your home is a, a place that accepts the message of the kingdom, that there is a spiritual peace that comes upon your home. You believe that? I believe that. That when we honor the kingdom in our home and we give provision towards the kingdom, that God actually puts a protection over our home, over our marriages. Over, over our children, there, there's, a, there's a spiritual rest. There's, there's freedom from certain disturbances because of the peace of God that's come over our homes. You know, Scripture says, God won't be any man's debtor. When you give and, and you make your place a, a home that, that welcomes the message of the king, boy, he won't get in debt to you. 
to pay back. And so it seems that to me that as I read this, the disciples were moving from community to community to community, preaching the message, performing miracles. Verse 14 says, And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Shaking the dust off your feet was a sign of judgment. Uh, I, w- I was reading this week, actually, I found this interesting that um, an author said, I'm going to watch for this now, so I'm going to point it out for you. You can watch for it. That Jehovah Witnesses, when they come and they knock on your door and you reject that which they've taught, that when they leave your property, they will shake the dust off their feet as a sign of judgment towards you. And the apostles were called to do that to the Jew, but you know, we're actually not called to do that. Again, this is specific to the Jew, a Jew preaching to a Jew. This, is, this was a, a, a sign of judgment against Israel because they were rejecting the message of the kingdom. And we don't, we don't shake the dust off on the, of our feet of those who reject the message. No, we keep preaching the message of Jesus. We go to all nations and we make disciples. We don't stop. We never stop. And it's interesting that Jesus said, you know, that, that Sodom and Gomorrah, as wicked as those cities were, and we know what their reputation was, that, that they would not, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah did not have the benefit of the apostles coming and preaching the message of Jesus. They did not have the benefit of the apostles rolling into town and casting out demons and raising the dead and performing miracles and signs. And so towns and villages and communities that rejected the message of the kingdom that, that the apostles were proclaiming were rejecting something that would lead to ultimate judgment. And so they're sent out to serve and now Jesus begins to share with the disciples to prepare them f- for the suffering that they will encounter as they serve. And it's interesting that really nowhere in the gospel accounts do you read that the disciples were persecuted for going out when Jesus sent them. We, we read about it after Jesus ascends into heaven. We read about it in the, in, in the book of Acts. And, and I, w- I would say this, that, that, that the interpretation of this message is, is still very Jewish as we're reading this, but there, there's application lots all the way through here for us for, for the church. The ministry is for the twelve but there's application for the church. But this is also a prophetic passage of scripture. It's looking ahead. As Jesus declares these things, he's looking ahead to a time that's yet to come. The time of the great tribulation. It looks ahead to a persecution that is going to come upon Jewish believers. And as Jesus speaks here, the uh, the ultimate application, like I said, is for the Jew. And I, I just see this as I read this as showing us that the time of the church has passed. If you can picture this, what, what Jesus says here spans the age of the church. From the time that Jesus ascended until the time that we're raptured into heaven, what he's saying is, comes before and after the time of the church here. Spans those days and it applies specifically to the Jew And so Jesus says this, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. 
So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. We can glean lots from that. With serving King Jesus comes suffering, right? There's danger. You're like a sheep amongst wolves. And because there's danger, there's a need to be discerning. You have to be wise with your words. Discerning about how you live. Wise as serpents and yet to have the disposition and the temperament of a dove. The dove is a picture of the Holy Spirit, right? The dove is a picture of peace and innocence. You, you be innocent before people, yet you be wise and discerning. Verse 17, Jesus says, Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. And so as we read that, you know, I, I don't think that I stand or you stand in any danger of being dragged into a synagogue. It's not going to happen. This is to the apostles. And this is the case of Jews persecuting Jews over the person and over the message of Jesus. And we know today, I mean, we look at the world. What's the hotbed in the whole world? It's the nation of Israel, the city of Jerusalem, the Temple Mount. The people are back in the land and the fulfillment of these scriptures, these prophecies and the rapture of the church is not far off. It is not far off and God will resume. He's going to pick up this story in chapter 10 here and those that refuse Jesus in those days will persecute those who believe in him and Jesus says that you'll be dragged into synagogues but you'll also be dragged before kings and governors and Gentile rulers and so as I read this, I mean I can see how this can apply to our lives that there's, there's persecution and there's suffering that's involved with being identified with Jesus. But we also see how this applies very specifically uh, to the time of the tribulation. Verse 19. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say. For, you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who will speak but the spirit of your father speaking through you. What an awesome promise. Remember Stephen? Acts chapter 7. The first martyr of the church died before James. The Holy Spirit gave him words, the scripture tells us, that those who opposed him could not stand against. And, and the Holy Spirit does the same for you and I. Verse 21 says, Brother will deliver brother over to death and a father is child and children will, will rise against parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will have not gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. And so Jesus warns, terrible betrayals even between the closest family members because of a relationship with Jesus. And Jesus said, when, you, when you're persecuted there, just flee to the next town. Move on to the next place and preach the message. And when, you know, when I, when I read this, it, it, Jesus talks about enduring to the end. Those who endure to the end will be saved. He, he's speaking about the pattern of our lives. Remember, Peter denied Jesus. Uh, David committed devious sins against the Lord. But that was not the pattern of either of those men's lives. They denied the Lord 
Peter denied Jesus, but the pattern of their lives was to follow God, to give their lives to God, that their, that their heart beat for the Lord. They loved the Lord. And so just like Peter and like, like David, when we fall down, we get back up. We want the pattern of our lives to be this, that, that of faith. We want the pattern of our lives to be that of trusting Jesus. So we follow him in, in discipleship. And so when we read that, but, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. It's speaking of the pattern of our lives. Verse 24, Jesus says, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign those of his household? Again, we're touching lightly here, but a disciple is not above his master, not above his teacher. A servant is not above his master. The works of Jesus, we've already seen this in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, were associated with the works of Satan. The Pharisees said, he does it by the power of the devil. That's how he casts out demons. And Jesus says, when you serve me, you can expect other people to say the same thing about you. If he's the master of our lives, that accusation should be made against us at some point. Verse 26, Jesus says, So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those that can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. You know, as we consider service and suffering, it's a natural thing for a human being to fear suffering. And the encouragement of Jesus is this. Don't shrink back. Do not shrink back. Be men and women of courage for the kingdom. It takes courage to stand for Jesus. It, t- it takes courage to talk about Jesus and your home and in your workplace. And, you know, I, I, I think about church, you know, I, I, it's like, it's easy for me to stand up here and talk about Jesus and being courageous about Jesus. Like, you guys are all willing to hear that. That's why you're here. It's hard to do it outside the four walls. And the encouragement of Jesus is, don't shrink back. Proclaim the gospel. What God speaks to you in your quiet time. Talk about it with people in your lives. What, what do you hear at church on Sunday? What's proclaimed out loud? Talk about the message in your workplace or wherever it is. And Jesus says this, that, that everything will be brought into the light. Those who in the end are, are, are opposed to the gospel, they will be exposed and so Jesus tells his disciples, don't, don't fear, even to the point of death. You do not need to fear. This is cr- crazy. You know, do not, do not fear those who can kill the body. But he says, rather, fear him, the Lord, who can both destroy the body and send it into hell. Fear the Lord. Verse 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny and Not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father, but even the hairs of your head are numbered. Fear not, therefore, 
for you, have, you are of more value than many sparrows. You know, I was walking to church this morning and I like to do that on Sundays if it's not pouring, pouring rain. And sometimes the Lord just speaks in neat little ways and I was walking through the marina there and crossing the bridge over the creek and I turned and these two bright yellow sparrows were there. They were like little, this, you know, I don't know if they're canaries, whatever they were, they escaped from, I don't know what a canary is. It's a yellow bird. They were little and they were yellow like a sparrow and they were beautiful and, and right away the Lord just reminded me of that, that old, remember that old song, his eyes on the sparrow and I know he watches me. And Jesus is saying that to his disciples. I, I look after sparrows. They're worth pennies to men in that culture. But they're valued to God. They don't drop to the ground without him attending their funeral. The hairs on your head are, are numbered. What Jesus is saying is, is that God loves you, that, G, that he, Jesus, loves you, that you're cared for, that you, that you do not need to fear and you do not need to question your value before God. That he loves you. He, that he knows the details about your life that you can't calculate, like hairs on your head. He loves you and you're valued. And so there's no need to fear. Remember we talked about this earlier in the Gospel of Matthew that bird watching is good for your faith. That's what Jesus says. Well, look at the birds and see how God provides for them and then trust the Lord. Verse 32 so everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. You know, when I think about acknowledging Jesus before men, it's not just about our lips, but it's about our lives. Our lips speak, but our lives speak as well. It's, it's lip and life in the kingdom of God. It's life and lip. It's walk and talk. It's talk and walk. No separation between the two. Our lives speak. Verse 34. Do you not think that I've come to bring peace to earth? Wow. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to earth. I have not come to bring peace but the sword. I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves, a, loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. I told you we we're going to go fast this morning. <laughs> There's lots there. You know, one day Jesus is going to impose on the face of this earth his peace. He will come, his feet will touch here again, he will rule on a throne in Jerusalem, and there will be peace in this earth. But until that time, peace with God is not a a global experience. It's an individual experience. Peace with God is something that you can have in your own heart and in your own life as you surrender in faith to Jesus Christ and the message of his cross, to his lordship, repenting of your sin and inviting him to come and be the Lord of your life. And you will have peace with God and with man, with others. 
But sometimes a relationship with Jesus can become a point of conflict with even the closest people in your lives, as I'm sure many of you know, as maybe all of you know. You know, Lisa and I have, we have conflict with family members, believe it or not. Not in, in my Im immediate family, my, with my own children, but, you know, we have conflict with, with people within our families. And actually, I would say this. We actually don't have conflict with them. They have conflict with us. And the only explanation that we can see when we like zoom out and we go, what the heck is going on here? The only thing that we can see is the difference is we have Jesus and we serve Jesus and they have rejected King Jesus. And it's the only thing that makes sense that there's so much stuff going on. They reject Jesus. And because of that, they reject Christ in us. And it leads to conflict over like stupid things. You're like, what, seriously? What's going on? How did we get here? And what Jesus teaches here is that, that human relationships are to come second to the heavenly relationship. Jesus first. The loyalty of the disciple, our loyalty belongs to King Jesus before all others. Before spouses and children and siblings and mothers and fathers, loyalty belongs to King Jesus. Jesus actually makes mention here of the cross. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. I bet that sounds, sounded strange to the disciples. I mean, we get it, okay? We know the whole story. But remember, these guys know nothing of the cross yet. This is the first mention of the cross in the Gospel of Matthew. So what? Take up your cross? What the heck is he talking about? They had never heard such talk. And Jesus is saying that those who follow him must be prepared. They, they, they must be willing to lose their life in their pursuit of him. To lose their life in order to find it again. You know, if, if you, the principle is this. If, if you hoard your life, in the end you will lose it. And if you will give up your life for the kingdom, you will gain life. For the sake of the gospel, you will find it if you will lose your life for the sake of the gospel. So we just read the last few verses here and it says this. Jesus speaking to these 12. Whoever receives you, receives me. And whoever receives me, receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet, because he is a prophet, will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person, because he is a righteous person, will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones, even a cup of cold water, because he is my disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Interesting few verses, kind of hard to understand in a sense. Firstly, Jesus says this, if you receive me, you receive him who sent me. When we receive Jesus, we receive the Father. He becomes our Father. We enter into relationship. And it's cool here that Jesus says, says this, kind of this strange thing, you know, receive a prophet, because he's a prophet, then you get the prophet's reward. You know, receive a righteous person because you get his reward. And, it, and, and 
the message of Jesus is this. It's that those who participate with those who are serving receive equal reward. It's, 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 a, it's actually a Jewish principle that they practice. Remember David? His camp came and got raided. And so he took his 600 men and they went off to pursue those who had stolen their wives and all their goods. And as they were going, the scripture tells us, I forget the numbers. Some of the men hit the point of exhaustion that they couldn't go on any further. And so they stayed behind and those that could still go on went on and they battled and they won the battle and they brought back all the wives and all the goods and all the possessions. And when they came back, some of the men in David's crew began to grumble and they said, hey man, we did all the work. These guys are like, ooh, they're tired, boo-hoo. They don't get the reward. They don't get back their stuff. We get all the stuff. And David said, no, 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 no. In this kingdom that I lead, remember David's, a, he's a picture of King Jesus. In this kingdom that I lead, all receive the same reward. He who stays behind and prepares the food as well as he who goes with the sword and actually battles, everyone receives the same reward. And so get this again, with that thought, read this. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive the prophet's reward. The one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive the righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is my disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. See, those who participate with the servant receive the equal reward. Receiving and rewarding, just like serving and suffering, go hand in hand. Just give a drink in the name of Jesus and that act is rewarded. When you participate in ministry, when, when you give, when you pray for someone and they go and do the work, the reward's equal across in the kingdom. Isn't that cool? Ryle, the commentator, said this in regards to serving and suffering. He said, happy is he who thoroughly understands that, through, that though Christianity holds out a crown, it also brings a cross in the way. Christianity holds out a crown, but on the journey to the crown... <laughs> There's a cross that all of us have to take up. And with this text in mind, when I think about it, though, though there's some very specific applications to the children of Israel, I think the question we should ask ourselves is this. How am I serving the kingdom of God? H how am I participating with King Jesus? In what way am I serving the kingdom? In what way am I assisting the prophets? In what way am I assisting the righteous person? In, in what way am I giving a cup of cold water in the name of Jesus? How am I at work in the midst of the Lord's vineyard? And, and, and that's a question all of us need to ask ourselves and, and then recognize that when we put our hand to the plow, it's 90% work. There's going to be suffering that comes along with making a choice to serve King Jesus. How are you serving? How are you serving the King? Let's pray this morning. I'm going to invite the worship team to come. Would you guys stand with me?
Let's, let's pray this morning as these guys are getting in place. Father, we just come before you in the name of our Lord and Savior, King Jesus. Jesus Christ, your Messiah, our Savior. Jesus, right now as we consider your word, we recognize that, that there are some things very applicable to each one of us in Matthew chapter 10. And we thank you, God, that, that though the, the commission of the disciples and their sending was unique, Lord, you have a commission for us. And it's this, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them every, to obey everything I've commanded you. And Lord, just before you, as we consider your word right now, we just put the question to our own hearts. How are we serving? And Lord, we ask that, that you would speak to each one of us, that you would give us a vision for how you've called us to serve, Lord. Some stay behind and look after goods and prepare meals and others go to the front line with the sword in their hand and everybody's rewarded the same. It, it doesn't matter. What matters is, are we participating in serving you? And so God, we just... We just invite your leading that you would give each one of us vision, Lord, to step it up in areas of service, to step it up in proclaiming the message of the kingdom and being about the work of your kingdom. So, Lord, give us that vision, I pray, even as a church together. Lord, I just pray for each one here this morning. I pray your blessing. And, God, I, I, I just pray want to give that opportunity uh, for the message of the gospel this morning because these disciples were sent and they were to give people opportunity to respond. And so, Lord, uh, we want to do that. And, and uh, we recognize, Jesus, that the message of the gospel is this, is that, that we are created for relationship with you. That's what you designed. And our sin, our rebellion, like our father, Adam, has broken off that relationship. It's severed it. It's ruined it. And you sent your son Jesus to bring restoration to that, to heal it. And he gave his life on a cross. He died for the sin of mankind. He was, he was buried and he was raised from the dead and he won the victory over sin and death. And your word declares that if we will place our faith in him, if we will turn, repent from our sin and turn in faith towards Jesus and invite him to be the Lord of our lives, that by faith we will receive the gift of eternal life and we'll have relationship with you. And so, Father, this morning we just want to extend that opportunity here and 